0: The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure, or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Hello and welcome to Big News coming soon. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by who is the biggest celebrity in Ireland at the moment.
2: Isn't that great? Doesn't it sound great? Loretta yes. Blewett, <laughs>
1: thank you very much. And I'm honoured uh, to be sitting in this room with you because <laughs> every away, will you? every TV outlet in <laughs> the world has been looking for you for the last few weeks. That is true.
2: The phone has gone awful quiet now all of a sudden, Alan. You know, I, it was all busy there at the start of April, but it certainly slowed down after that.
1: Oh, this podcast might change things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, is that good or bad? <laughs>
1: Come here till I ask you, um, have you recovered from the Joe Biden visit?
2: Yeah, it was really weird. So like in the lead up to it, it was like this big, exciting wedding. It was like a, a royal wedding in Ballina. Like it was, it, was, it was just everybody was kind of excited and... You know there was so much buzz around the town, and the place was getting painted, and there was been flower beds been laid, and everything was was looking great. And the weather obviously wasn't great, so that took a while. When the child, of, when I saw, um, Jermuth from. Uh, the US Embassy getting a child of Prague and putting it out the day before the president arrived. I knew this is this is it. No, this is real. Um, thankfully, the child of Prague paid off. In fairness, the weather seemed to get a bit better. But such a come down afterwards. It was weird. It was really hard to explain. It was kind of like after like there's a family wedding and then afterwards you have the big party and the fun and all that for the next two or three days. And then afterwards, you're like, oh. I don't know if I'm sick or if I'm just in bad form or I'm tired or whatever, but it was brilliant.
1: You have to be really careful because after very high highs, there's very low lows, Awful isn't
2: there? low lows. Yeah. It's awful. You feel like, oh God.
1: For people I, who don't know then, what's your relation to President Joe Biden?
2: So my dad um, blew it, obviously, and Joe Biden's like, well, great, great, great grandfather. So it kind of goes back three, four generations um, would be, obviously, that's where it all started. So... I suppose like my dad and him would be like third cousins. And then obviously you, you moved down the track again. But, uh, so the relationship that cousin side of things it's close but not that close obviously it's like we all have American relations don't we there yeah. they, they come and find you after years and years of uh tracing their Irish relatives and you know they all want to be cousins with someone from Ireland don't they Americans love having Irish blood in them um so there's no difference in this um just so happens that she's the president of the United States so that's how the relationship goes. He's very obviously fond of his Bluett connection. He talks about it quite regularly. Um, and the Finnegan's then in Loud as well. So,
1: Do you remember when you first found out you were related to Joe Biden?
2: Yeah, so we kind of would have always known that there was that link there. And there was, I think, maybe, God, I don't know, maybe 40 years ago, before I, way, way before I was ever born or thought of, Alan. <laughs> um, there was relations of his. He had come to Mayo and you know visited my my family's kind of home in Knockmore because the Ballina house, that only kind of pierced, or Garden Street that kind of only came on stream as things were dug up and, and all of that but the, the Knockmore connection would have been strong in the It name um then so there was relations and pictures and all of that from maybe 40, 50 years ago um so we always knew like you'd know you'd relations, but you didn't really follow up on them as such. Um but then the media were interested in it obviously when he became vice president. Um so I decided then that was the time to insist that he come and visit us in so, in uh, Ireland and You contacted him. I got on to to his office and, you know, just we we made that bond initially and that connection and then Obviously they were the vice pres they were the vice president's office in the United States. So coming to Ireland until it until the actual it came up and it was part of the plan, that's when they started then getting in contact with me and it was like, oh look, we're gonna arrange this and that and the other. So um it was really from then. So that would have been two thousand and sixteen. So that's and that was his first time being in Ireland. He had been to the north, but not down to this side of the country. Um so for him it was his first time coming to Ireland as well, so that was the start of a beautiful relationship. It has to be said.
1: So he was here as vice president, mm-hmm. and then there was um, there was a little hullabaloo, not as big of a hullabaloo as last time. Yeah. There, was a, there was the there was the the motorcade and there was the security, and then I remember meeting him in Brafe House one day.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah.
1: And nobody knew he was there. Yeah. I met him in the corridor. Yeah. Where he was just walking back from the bathroom, and I was like,
2: "Is that is that Joe Biden?" Yeah.
1: And then he he had obviously visited when he wasn't in office, was it? Or?
2: Yeah, so obviously he came in 2016 and then I... As vice president. As vice president yep. and I said, look, before you leave office, because obviously it was his second term as vice president, can I come and visit you in the White House? And he said, oh, absolutely. And he got his staff over and he said, look, make sure Larissa gets to come to the White House, blah, blah, blah. So as it turns out, I got to visit and it was the very last week before he left office. And... Um, the staff had, you know, come to the realisation that that was the quietest, going to be the quietest week where they could actually plan something without there being changes and him having to go somewhere last minute or whatever. So it turns out I was actually there the day he got the Medal of Freedom. But nobody knew that he was going to get it, so they had planned for me to go and visit. It was sort of like, oh, he'll be able to show you around and, you know, do all that. And then when I arrived in Washington, I said, oh, can I bring my brother with me? And they were like, oh, yeah. So the two of us headed off. I mean, like, talk about last minute and you saw that when he visited here. Nobody knew what was going on and what was going on. I mean, on the Tuesday, I found out I was able to go for the Wednesday, like, to be there in the Wednesday afternoon. So that's how last minute everything is when it comes to, I suppose, that high office. Yeah. So we arrived over and then they rang me when I arrived off the plane and they said, oh, look, change of plan. The president has now blocked off the vice president's schedule for basically most of the day tomorrow and I was like well I'm here now and they were like oh I know yeah but look come anyway the staff will show you around and you know hopefully you'll get to see him as it turns out they didn't know either that he was getting the medal of freedom and so then in the morning when I arrived over it was all hush hush go into this room don't say you're here the president wants to make a presentation to the vice president and then went into the room and there was probably about maybe 50 people there mostly staff and his family and me and my brother are stuck there in the back. Uh, well, not not even, I think, like, the third row. And he, straight away, like, the. F- so I, he had seen me maybe in that, it was, I think it was May, June time when he'd been here. And I hadn't seen him again. And straight away on the stage, he was like, oh, my God, you're here, you know. So, like, I couldn't believe that he'd even remembered me, you know, that sort of way. Yeah. Um, so being there for the Medal of Freedom was obviously incredible and it was such a special day. And it was probably, like, in, you know, going back now from memory, it's going to be like the, a historic day to have been there. So that was brilliant, you know, we got down to see the Oval Office where Barack Obama was, we were in his office in the West Wing, you know, and it was just lovely to have such freedom in the White House, but obviously because he was Vice President that was easier to do, um, there wasn't as much pressure on. Yeah. Um, but then I had said to him, look, would you come and turn the sod on the Mayo Hospice for us? And he said to me, well, look, I will try, but I can't commit to it, yeah, whatever. So he left office and that's why you met him in Bravey House because he had come to turn the sod on the Mayo Hospice for six months after he'd left office. So six months after you leave, well, it's just outside six months because you get security as vice president for six months after you leave office and after that, then you're on your own. Wow. And his staff used to say to me, you know, it's hilarious. Like for eight years, he wasn't allowed to drive a car. He wasn't allowed you know, there was never traffic on the road, wherever he went, somebody else drove him, the roads were closed off, if he wanted to go to mass, he wasn't in a rush. He'd come into the office after he left, after he left as vice president and he would say, God, traffic is a bitch this morning and they'd say, (laughs) well sir, like it's 11am, there's no traffic now, you're not in rush hour or he couldn't believe the price of like milk or how much like, Uh, dry cleaning cost or stuff like that because he never ever had to carry money or you know buy stuff for himself everything was always taken care of by somebody else so then he got to drive again and all of that so um, he rented a car down in Shannon and drove up was delighted with himself driving. This is hilarious driving through the flying roads, flying into so.
1: Shannon, renting a car, yeah, hiring I a car, hiring
2: a car, driving up with his brother and his nephew, and they were like, "Geez, he was driving like way too fast for these Irish roads." We were nearly getting sick, um, but he was loving it because he's a car fanatic, and I don't know if you've seen some of the videos of him just obsessed with the old cars and all that. So he came up. I brought him to. He turned the sod, stayed in Westport, and then I took him to Ballinard for a day. And he said, Look, I'd love to do the walk again, what I did as vice president. I don't know where I was. The streets were packed with people, blah, blah. So we did the walk through, and like s- nobody knew it was him. As you said, he's just walking around, with no security, baseball hat on him, him stopping, chatting to people and yeah. shaking baby's hands, and people going, Who's this fucking weirdo, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, nobody realised that it was him. And I brought him into a cafe in Balana, John Barrett, who owns the post house in Balna, And John. And his wife, Mary, lived in Boston for years and, um, you know, had, were had votes in America and all of the rest of it. So I brought him in, never said anything, sitting down and John's there taking the order and he does a double take. And he's like, what is that? <laughs> so he got a picture and it was it was lovely. So he absolutely loved that. And I, he referred to it in his speech um, when he was in Balna as well, that he came back in 2016, 17, it probably was. And he said, like, I came with no cavalcades and no or motorcades whatever they're called and no security just me myself and my brother and you know got to see Ballina in a different light you know.
1: But the relationship between you and President Biden is obviously genuine and obviously very close because he has referred to it in so many speeches. Yeah. Uh, by name you know Lorita, like she's yeah, a great yeah. bit of stuff yeah. like
2: We're close, we are close and and I do have a good relationship with him and he's very good to me in terms of the stuff that he's done for the hospice has been incredible and like... Um, we were opening the Roscommon Hospice, and like he sent a video as the President of America. You know, like if I ask him to do something, he'll do it. Like it's not, it's weird. Like it is weird when you say it out loud. Or
1: how do you ask? You can't exactly like send him a WhatsApp.
2: Yeah, no. Hey I don't, Joe, I don't WhatsApp him, and he definitely doesn't use TikTok because <laughs> uh, he's not into the whole uh, China thing. But, um, but no, I just, I mean, I,
1: everything has to go through channels. Yeah, does it?
2: his staff, and and so like he always. It's amazing if his staff turn over, like, for instance, his PA. Every If he gets a new PA or anything, there's always a an introductory email with me and the PA person's like, oh, here's X, this person, this larita like, whatever larita needs, kind of thing. Wow. It's always that. It's kind of, it's weird. you kind of like, oh. And then you kind of think, oh, yeah, right. Like, as if I'm going to ask them for something and they're definitely not going to reply to me or they're definitely just going to yeah. pretend they never got that email. But, like, straight away, every time they come back, they just, you know... Like, like, I don't ask for that much. Like I'm not going to say, oh, can I go to, like, you know, X place on holidays with there or whatever. Like, I'm going to be asking too much. But when I do ask, um, he responds. Okay. And uh, you don't have to wait a long time for it to happen. So I have now insisted that I go and stay in the White House. Um, and that has been accepted. So I just need to know. decide. You insisted. I, I insisted. All like, right. I insisted the last time I was going. I was like, now... Um, I said like I don't know if you heard the story I thank my great beloved husband decided to share the story with the nation about the haircut uh, yes like (laughs) I mean seriously I was like thanks a million and he goes "Uh, "Lorita, you destroy yourself every week in your own podcast he was like I'm pretty sure if I write something about it it's not that big of a deal right,
1: for people who don't know there's a story going around in the media that you had the chance to be on Air Force One yeah and fly from Dublin to Ireland West Airport
2: yes so what happened was we're at the dinner in Dublin Castle and la-dee-da I, yes la da yeah, it was great yeah. it was lovely blah 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 and I was chatting to him and I said to him like um, I, I talk to him now probably inappropriately in a way because you know all his staff are very much yes sir no sir you know reverential how it's probably supposed to be but I don't really have that relationship I have a very kind of a friendly open kind of happy kind of easy going relationship with him. I don't feel like oh god this is the president of the United States, and you have to be reverential to him. I don't ever get that feeling from him. So as a result, we're very. it's like going. if
1: your teacher in school was your dad? Yeah, yeah, do, yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't have to call him sir. No, but
2: I do call him <laughs> Mr. President. I never call him Joe. I just, I just think that's a step too far. Right. So I, I still call him Mr. President. I said to him, like, what's the story? I was like, I thought I'd be on Air Force One this week with you, and he goes. But sure, you you are. He said. I presume that, like, I presume that's sorted. Like, you're you're with me, you know, tomorrow and all that. And I said, well, no. Like, I've been formally invited on Air Force One. And he goes, oh God. He said, we need to get that sorted immediately. And I went, no, because it was queues of people waiting to talk to him, not like queues, but there was people waiting to get a picture with him or talk to him, and and he goes, oh no no, he said, and he grabbed me by the arm and he goes, no no he said, "Um, we need to get this sorted now and I said, no, I'll come back to you later and you can get it sorted, just relax, I don't want to go and make a big scene, like, Jesus, the staff already probably hate me, so you know, let's easy, and he goes, no, no he said, everyone else has to wait so he calls over the staff, he's like, um she goes, yes, sir, whatever you need, sir. And he said, Larisha's traveling with us tomorrow on Air Force One, yeah? And she went, well, <laughs> Sam. Like, and when you saw the entourage of people that had to go in cars and buses and all of the rest of it that couldn't go on Air Force One. I don't know the reasons for it all, but she goes, um, well, obviously anything you want, sir, is the answer is yes. And he goes, well, great, yeah. Like, well, Larisha's with me then tomorrow. And she was sort of, uncomfortable by this idea as in I would say she goes it's like 11 o'clock at night are you joking me like what am I supposed to do here like and um I said look at I said it's fine don't worry about it I said sure look it's a bit tricky now I have things on in the morning I said (laughs) I have an appointment I said down in Ballina I said I have to go back there tonight I said or down in Foxborough I said I have things to be doing I said it's grand it probably doesn't suit and he was like I'm the president." He said. I can do whatever I want, anything I want to do. It's not a problem, it? It's not a problem, is it? And she goes, No, sir, it's not a problem. And I was thinking to her, she was thinking, Would you ever fuck yeah. off and go away from me, right? So I said, oh, I'm sensing that this is a bit tricky. And she goes, He goes, No, it's not tricky at all. And I said, Mightn't be tricky for you, but I said, It seems to be tricky for everyone else. I said, And I've stuff on in the morning anyway, sure. I'll see you when you get down. And he goes, no he says I'm not happy with that he said let's get that sorted and she goes okay sir I'll go and get it sorted now and I could see her going don't make eye contact with her again don't make eye contact <laughs> so then she did come back to me she's like oh look Loretta like we can definitely move things around and you know you can, you can drive and I said no forget about it I said I've got an appointment at half eight in the morning I said I have a load of stuff on I said I'll see you when you get to Mayo and I was like oh my god well and my husband nearly killed me he was like you can't say no to that and I was like but sure, it's only going to be hassle. I said, the car is here. I said, I said just too many things that aren't going to work out. I said, I don't like things being sprung on me. So he was going mad and everyone else went mad afterwards. It so was
1: probably know. a hairdresser in Air Force One. It
2: probably was. There's <laughs> bloody, I think there's somewhere where you can have a bloody, o- a quick operation in there. So I'm pretty sure they could have done my hair um, and maybe dress me and all for, for that matter. So, so it's
1: true, you had a hair appointment
2: that morning. I did in have in a Foxford. hair appointment. I did. And I didn't get home to bloody... Home to knock more until about half three in the morning. So I probably I wasn't in the best of shape getting my hair done at half eight. Anyway, um, do you regret it hands, now? Ah, no. Sure, I mean, like,
1: well, it wasn't the real Air Force One. Like, I know every plane that he's on is called Air Force One, yeah, but this was. But like it wasn't the, the It was the big, massive yeah. one.
2: But also, I had already questioned the staff about this, and by all accounts, it's. Basically, a direct replica for Air Force One. Okay, the same food is served on it. The seats are the exact same. It's just not a big cargo plane as such, but yeah. it's it's probably like a plane we would go to on holidays to Spain to, or it's that kind of size. It's still yeah. not a like not a little private jet either, you know. Yeah. So, do I regret it? I mean. <sighs> I still don't but I'm sure I I will eventually regret it but you're a
1: a, hop and escape from Dublin to Ireland West you'll be there in 20 minutes anyway
2: exactly actually by the time you'd be up you'd be down there'd be no sense to it but look um,
1: because I was on the tarmac in Ireland West waiting for it to land and I got a photo of the motorcade driving into Dublin airport at 10 past 1 right and I think he was on the tarmac in Ireland West at 2 o'clock
2: yeah so there you go yeah I mean I yeah Look I probably will regret it Um, I'm awful for like not overthinking things too much either so it ha- it didn't happen it's gone now yeah. and sure if the chance comes up again I won't be as naive to say I have a hair appointment I shouldn't be planning things that far in advance anyway
1: and when when you were going then to meet him in Balina like was it all drama like organising times to be there how to get in how not to get in because yeah. I from a media point of view everything was so difficult for, for me like to cover and me to get into places but you were getting in the, in past the next checkpoint. Yeah. Was that difficult?
2: Um, So obviously I was going to the hospice to meet him. Again, it was last minute. It was kind of uh, unsure whether it was going to happen or it wasn't going to happen. This was so funny. Sorry to interrupt
1: yeah. you because I was up in the primary care centre getting a, a, a procedure or checkup done and there was two women in a and two nurses in a cubicle beside me saying, I hear he's coming to the hospital." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't
2: tell anyone. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst then, kept secret. Yeah.
1: Though. And then there was four miles of barriers. From uh, Cahalduffy's roundabout everyone didn't know, yeah. <laughs> to Island 80, yeah. <laughs> and right up to the front door of the hospice. So it was yeah. like the worst kept secret in in the town.
2: And guards everywhere. And and uh, people
1: putting up cameras. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing about Castlebar was there's CCTV everywhere in Castlebar that hasn't worked for the last 20 years. <laughs> and now you'd see two Robin Redbreasts making love on a roundabout because <laughs> all the cameras are fixed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just cameras. There was a lot of suspicious ones that went up on the way into Ballina as well. Uh, they're gone now. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. But um, yeah. Yeah of course it was I I was then like um, I was appointed sounds ridiculous as well but I was appointed a liaison officer to have from the White House so that anything that I needed or any questions I had would be answered by a direct person um, for the week so basically the lead up to it um, any questions I had about the trip or anything like that there was just basically one guy that was I'm sure he had 10 other jobs to do as well but he was you know Larissa, whatever you need, Larissa. yes sir, yes sir, well, not yes sir, but that kind of stuff. Mm. So I went to the hospice and then it was all, oh, you can't park your car here and security here. and So I was like, no, I insist I'm bringing my car in. (laughs) Because I was like, I'm just going to push all the boundaries here. I didn't go (laughs) in Air Force One, I'm going to make sure that people know I'm here. So of course then I was like, oh, I want to bring my car in, like going to have high shoes on I can't be walking for miles blah 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 so um,
1: now from their point of view they're thinking we can't bring a car in because it might have a suspect device in it well and you're thinking about your shoes yes my
2: <laughs> so so anyway of course then it was agreed it was I had to go through secret service and then the guards and guards secret service it was going on for ages and I was like well no I'm I'm pretty sure I've been told that I can bring the car in and then this was like by a White House one and then it was like the Secret Service said no and then the guard said no and then this, I was like cheer one, look, they're saying no. Oh my God. Well, the whole thing was changed anyway. So then the Secret Service had to sweep the car. Um, they had to have like six fellas there and a dog <laughs> to, <laughs> I swear, it was just, I was like, I'm pushing the boat out here. I don't care how many fellas have to do it. So they were in with the little tiny flash lamps in through all the it bonnet of the car. The boot had to be popped the whole everything had to be opened the dog was in the car going through it um the, the, they were like putting the dog underneath the car they were putting <laughs> the flash they, were, they had this thing on wheels wheelchair there's like a mirror underneath it and the flash lamp on it to go underneath the car it basically it was like a, a, a full sweep of the car it's like you'd see on csi miami job like or um so all of the car to be sweeped and straight in to the door of the hospice and I was happy then <laughs> once I was allowed in uh, just to make a point of it but yeah. also my dad got to see him there as well my dad's in a wheelchair so they allowed him in as well but it was like accompany the car check the wheelchair like everything was like over the top but they're American like I mean mm. everyth- like I was watching the NFL draft on the television today like everything is a drama like everything's a, a big big they show. do seem to
1: love drama
2: you know it's not like it's not like she's oh, like we do things here, and it's like try and get it over and done with as quick as possible, and move it on, you know. Yeah. Whereas everything's massive, and it's all, all Ireland
1: day, like get eighty thousand people in and out as quick as you can, as
2: quick as Into you fequity. can, and get out and just like walk <laughs> yeah. for miles. What's that? So that's what it is. Yeah. You know, if that was if if the All Ireland was American, like it'd be you know, oh, you'd have Super to get up Bowl on the Sunday. Wednesday. Like, are you joking me? It's like. I mean, the whole thing would just be a totally other, um, you know, maybe we need to take a leaf out of their book. But yeah, so look, it, it was Let's. It let's was an exceptional trip and it was fun. Let's talk about
1: the hospice for a moment. So you work for the hospice. Is yes. It, what, what's your role in the hospice?
2: I do major donor fundraising. I've worked on that. F- I've, I worked in the hospice since 2000 and by the end of 2014, I joined the hospice and um, I did community fundraising, fundraising manager, that kind of role first. And then we started, we had to build two hospices. So um, we had a big job on our hands where we going to get a bank loan are we going to get donors all that sort of stuff so I work in fundraising basically um and and
1: since that time you have built two hospices
2: we have built two hospices and we haven't had to, we didn't have to get a bank loan wow um we were able to do that through donor fundraising through general fundraising community fundraising all of that so it was incredible and it's incredible for um and you've also for the charity not to have to be kind of under pressure for the rest of its like forever to be paying back money you know it's 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 not simple
1: and you also completed a hospice during lockdown
2: yeah it, it was interesting um to see that side of it um and we worked with everything every single part of the hospice from the day it was saw it was turned to the doors being opened air, like the construction everything the construction the people who worked on the site all the time like we might sometimes walk in and you know, and say, oh, we wanted to bring a donor in or we wanted to come in and see something. They There was never, like we all know builders and carpenters and it's a stressful job and they don't want people in on top of them or electricians or whatever role they're doing. They don't want people in when they've cables thrown here or they've blocks thrown here. But it was just, it was so peaceful and lovely from from the get-go to that site and um, to now being open to patients and all the rest of it and everything just worked so well and during lockdown and we also had a, a period of time where the weather was r- like really really hot and so they had to instead of missing days on the building site they got the lads to come in at five o'clock in the morning and work until you know early in the morning and then stop because of the hot weather and all of wow. that like everybody was tied into it in a more than a job way it was this is going this is part of our community this is part of us it was such a powerful experience for me to be part of um, and I wasn't even on the building site but going in and, and seeing it and it's just an amazing facility for like I think Gabriel Byrne was on the Late Late Show probably like ten, eight, nine years ago and he's a big advocate for hospice. And he was talking about how there should be a hospice in every county in the country. And even now, in the year we're in, there isn't a hospice in every county in the country, which is sad. Scandalous. Um, yeah, it's scandalous. Yeah. And unfortunately, it shouldn't be down to fundraising and it shouldn't be down to charities. or it shouldn't, But that's the way it is. And it's lovely to be part of it and it makes you feel it, it gave me a whole other understanding of empathy and respect for others when I started working for the hospice because um, you're caught up in your life and you're doing your own thing but until you're actually talking to the people the families or the patients or the people who um, use hospice that's when you realise how important it is and how it's a sad thing to say it's a beautiful and a Like, deeply required place in the community, but it's also great to see that it's there and how, what a difference it makes to people. And people message me all the time, or I talk to people all the time, and they say, like, if somebody's brother or mother or father dies in the hospice, and I have a connection to them in some way or another, or through Facebook or Instagram or whatever, they'll message me and say, like, the experience in there was just like, Hard to put into words. It was just beautiful for the patient, for us. And like we were able to learn so much from other hospices when we were building our Mayo one and our Roscommon one. For instance, one part of the research was that a patient would love... There was a hospice in Dublin and they didn't have this facility where the patient wanted to go outside in the, her dying days to feel the rain on her face. And she couldn't do that because the bed... She was bed-bound. and So we were able to make our rooms, build our rooms in a way where we're able to put the bed out. There's a door there where the bed can go out and each room has a private little garden and the bed can go out there and the patient, if they want to feel the sun or the rain or the wind or whatever it is, that they can do that. Um, the, The rooms are made up for the patient and with the patient in mind, so... You go into the room, it doesn't look like a hospital room. It doesn't have, like, all the oxygen pumps and everything on display. Everything's hidden away behind a cupboard. or So it's just a bed. The television is important. We've got blinds that are integrated into the door and the window that the patient operates. So if the patient wants sunlight or the patient wants darkness or whatever the patient wants, the patient can do. It's all there at a touch of a button for the patient. I, I was talking to a lad who worked on the site, and he said to me, like, it was just gave me a whole different perspective on things but just been involved in the building of it and just seeing the the attention to detail for the room and um, that you wouldn't see in a hospital what well, people think oh it's a hospice it's a, hospice, a hospital it's all the same it's not it's it's completely different we've a working kitchen in each hospice where if a patient wants a, a fillet steak or a dessert or something they can have that we've got a family room that if a patient is unwell not not well enough to be at home but well enough to get out of bed and they want to watch a movie or have a movie night with their kids or a, a takeaway or whatever, we've got a room for that. We've got an apartment that if a family needs to come and stay, that they've they've got that facility there. We've daycare facilities, we've hairdressers, we've, na- you know, we've got like, it, it's just, it's patient-centered, but it's perfect for, for that, you know. You can have a wedding there. There was a wedding there recently where the mother of the bride passed away and they wanted to, before she did, they wanted to have the wedding and they brought it forward and the chef did the wedding cake. And, wow. Um, You can have kind of holy communions there. There's a little private courtyard that you can have different events there. Um, before we opened our hospice in Mayo, we had a patient from the county who had to go elsewhere to get married and have her wedding there. Um, she was in the hospice care in, in hospice care and that was sad that she wasn't able to do that in her own county you know she had to go elsewhere for it So, and is it fully self funded
1: or does it get any government funding no the funding? HSC
2: now pay for the running costs of it which is brilliant but you had to build it yourself. we had to build it and then our ongoing obviously we still have ongoing costs that would be involved in the hospice and then we've got a home care team who we continue to fund as well who you know not every patient generally it's about a three week stay in a hospice, right. so either, and not everyone dies in the hospice as well. And like I talked to somebody recently, and their granny was in there, and she was in there, and she got better, and now she's well again. You know, it's not, you're not necessarily. It's not a like, oh, you're yeah. going to the hospice, like you're never going to come out of it. It just depends on the patient's care, the patient's needs, whatever that that may be. We, you could have a patient who doesn't want to die at home, who wants to go in because they don't, they might have young kids, or it's just not might not be suitable for them to be at home mm-hmm. or you could have a patient who isn't well enough to be at home yet but they want to be well enough to be able to go home and that's what our amazing doctors and nurses and carers and all that what's thing. really
1: incredible about it is there was no great scandal where you said you were going to i don't know the figures but you didn't say you were going to build it for a million and it ended up costing a hundred million no like no. everything was done that's why yeah. they're thereabouts yeah. And it's amazing when you let people at it themselves Yeah, what they can achieve. Whereas yeah. if this was probably a government funded project it would have been estimated oh sure we'll build it for two million it ended up costing a trillion.
2: Yeah. Well look at you see that with the children's hospice, hospital don't you? Um, there was jokes when we were opening the I think it was Roscommon Hospice and Simon, or Stephen Donnelly was the um, Minister for Health I, I think he still is. But you know, there was jokes that uh, they needed to get Martina Jennings to come go and take over the children's hospice, our CEO, yeah. um, or the children's hospital, because, like, we wouldn't be able to afford to do that. Like, you put a, a figure on something, we're a charity, we have to make this money up from from nowhere, basically. You know, but like, how this runs on, I don't know, but... yeah. Maybe it's a better thing that there was not government funding. You know, maybe there, maybe it was better that it was... But had it goes to, to show
1: how much respect you have for the, the donors. Yeah. You know, you didn't just go willy-nilly and say, right, you're looking, if we need to get another million, we'll get it somewhere. Yeah, but also... It was realistic.
2: The, yeah, it's realistic, but also you're dealing with, you know, donors who are made money for a reason. They're not going to give it away that easy either you know what I mean so it's going to be a joined up thinking and and I think because it was something special and it was in our community and it's made such, such a huge difference now and we're so thrilled that the two of them are opened and functioning and you know we're so thankful to the staff and the people who keep the keep it open and keep it going every day and it's just it's I mean I just I'm I marvel at the nurses I marvel at our home care team as well like I knew nothing about hospice other than I was working in it. And then in 2015, my mother was diagnosed with cancer, since passed away. But I got a totally different understanding of hospice then, you know, because for the last couple of months of her illness, uh, we had hospice in at home. And again, even though I worked there, and I was always talking about hospice, when, hosp- when the word hospice was described to my mother, that it was time for her to have it, she was like... Oh away I don't want it because it's such a it's a fearful word for so many people you hear hospice you think end of life you think oh god if I start it it's the end you know um and then when people actually have it they realize oh my god the quality of life now for me is so much better I feel so much better I've been I've got such more care and attention from these people who are coming to my house who are answering questions that I wasn't maybe able to ask and doctors or nurses in the hospital and it was just an incredible experience for my mother is an incredible experience for us and it gave me a whole different even though I thought my eyes were opened already from talking to other patients there was this lady that told me and it always stuck with me um she was wanted to do a fundraiser and she wasn't sure how to go about it and she said you know my daughter is dead 20 years now and she was only 19 when she died and she said every other week the nurse that minded her my hosp- her hospice nurse calls into me and visits for a cup of tea um if she's passing and you just think like like fuck me that's like mm. you know you don't see that you don't think of that you don't and like she said it makes such a difference to me to know that I have that link always with my daughter you know because you know death is hard to obviously get your head around for a long time and it's just that you get more used of it. You, it's not that you get over the person, but it's that you get used of it. And I think talking about it and talking about it with somebody who you know how they suffered, you know, it's it makes such a difference. So the stories that you hear from the patients who or the families who use it it just gives you that kind of boost to go oh great I'm so glad I'm part of it you know yeah. and I'm privileged to be part of the hospice
1: so then when Joe Biden was here visiting he turned out, the sod fir- obviously the, when he came back yeah in 2017 uh, 2017
2: yeah.
1: and then he y- you got him back in again two weeks ago yeah and there's a plaque in the ground
2: Yeah, so we put that plaque down when we're opening the hospice and it's in memory of his son, Beau. And it's basically where he turned the sod on the Mayo Hospice. And he was just so good with his time in the Mayo Hospice. You know, it was a private visit. I've heard this a few
1: times now. Yeah, I've heard that he... He gave loads of time to everybody and you couldn't get him out of there. Yeah,
2: yeah. He was, and the staff were like, come on, come on. But like, his staff had kind of said to me, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to see the patients. I was like, oh God, like, because he needs to see When the we
1: were at Ireland West Airport waiting for him to land, we were told that he was running late and he wouldn't get to the hospice. Yeah. We were told that the hospice trip was cancelled.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, they were always, that was going to be the first one that was cancelled. But like, I mean, I heard that earlier on in the week and I just was on the phone going, You cannot cancel this trip, no way. Yeah. So um he then said to me and got out of the car and we looked at the plaque, he said, Rita, I've got some books. He wrote a book about his son Bo. Um and you know, that story of his two sons been in hospital for like months after his their, their mother, his wife died, his little daughter got killed in that horrific car accident in the seventies. Um and then, you know, Bo had had problems, you know, with head injuries they had from the accident. And then he died from brain cancer, which was, you know, sad to think. Was there a link there eventually after all these years? But um, he got out of the car. And the first thing that obviously, obviously, a lot everyone would have heard the story about the priest in Ireland or in Knock Shrine. You know, that wasn't set up. That wasn't supposed to happen. You know, they didn't know anything about the priest until they arrived. And then Father Richard had said, Oh, you know, we've a priest here who worked in the hospital, um in ex so, so hospital, yeah, a military so, hospital. So tell us this story. Yeah.
1: The priest who read Bo His Last Rites, was that correct? Yeah. So Was in Ireland was in Knock Shrine.
2: He's now in Knock Shrine. He's based there or whatever for a period of time. And well, I only heard the story from, from Hunter and from And they got out of the car and they were like, You'll never guess what happened. You know, um, like we were there. Father Richard was saying, Oh, we have um, a priest here who worked in the military hospital um, in just outside Washington, wherever. And they were like, Oh, both said, or Hunter said, Oh, what was his name? Oh, his name's Frank O'Grady or whatever. And they said, Oh my God, you're joking me. Like, that's the priest who gave. Bo his last rites, and they were like no way, and so they got him and brought him over, and um, because Hunter had spent so much time, the priest had been in and out, and he'd been close to it, and then to death, and then rallied again, and so he had been with him quite a bit in the lead up to his death, and so Hunter had got to know the priest, and that was how that must have been really emotional. But it was weird. It was weird that they were coming from there. To the hospice, to where Bo's name was, you know, forever is going to be associated, and from being over and meeting, like it was, it's a bit of a like, you know, weird thing. Yeah. Um. But so we were saying, oh look, I said to him, look, you have to see the patients before you leave, and he says, oh look, absolutely, I will. And he said to me, look, I've got some books. He'd written a book about Bo he said, would it be okay if I gave a couple of copies out and signed them? And I said, look, I'm sure they would love that. You know, and he was so uh, open with his time with the patients. And for me, that was the most powerful part of the trip. Um, like, that was something there was something really special about that. You know, the rest of it was publicity and it was PR mm. and it was very public. This was very private and very one-on-one time with people. And it was it was... It was powerful.
1: Yeah, because even the photo that was going around in the media the next day would, you know, it was a tear-jerking photo. Yeah. And all it was was just the the four or five of you standing looking down at the plaque.
2: Mm. And what happened there was there wasn't supposed to be, obviously there, I mean, there must have been, I don't know, was there like 25 cars of like, you know, there's two ambulances following, you know. I think there was around 40. Was there? Yeah. yeah. So, like I, I just know there were like so many of them. Yeah. But there was a load of them were the you know the press media that were following him on the trip and they wanted get get some pictures of the hospice and the team were like no 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 this isn't this is a private trip you can't get out of the cars you can't get out of the cars Hmm. and obviously they're respectful because they're part of the the entourage as such Um, and then they agreed to let them take that one photo but it was amazing even they came in they were really silent you didn't even know they were there I didn't even realise they were there there must have been I don't know how many of them there getting the photos and the pictures and all of that but you were oblivious to it because it was so private they came in they took the photos and they were gone again uh, back into the cars and then the rest of it was private but it was it was it was lovely
0: BRB Homes make your dream home a reality we do it all from start to finish your one stop shop to becoming a homeowner Log on to brbhomes.ie
1: I have a question for you now. Yes. Do you think I look like Hunter Biden?
2: Jesus, I do, I didn't think of it until now. When I turn sideways
1: said. now, maybe do I? Maybe the side profile. Yeah, you,
2: you need the slick back hair now. That's oh, I can thing. I can work on that. Yeah, yeah, you need to let the hair grow a bit and slick it back. Yeah. yeah. Jesus, you know, you might just do. A few people have,
1: <laughs> have said online that I look like him. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: There you go. You've run the same uh, jawline here. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, we might be we might you be might distant be relations. relations. <laughs> <laughs> here you go again. Yeah, great. Come on, put, go on the list. Yeah. Does any
1: of the online abuse affect you, or do you see it?
2: Um, online abuse. I, I say I'll say it now, and then I'll I'll get it. I don't really get that much online abuse. I don't really. But you, open myself up for it. I didn't... This was interesting. Like, before you would put up something about Joe Biden in you know, a tweet or something, it'd be like, oh, same old story. Couldn't have always oh, this or he's that or whatever. Um, but this trip, I didn't get any of it. I didn't... Like, you'd be getting letters about, oh, he's murdering children and all that sort of stuff in your... You know, get all the sort of letters. I didn't get anything this time.
1: Okay. Well, that's good. I got
2: none of it. Now... If I went looking for it, yeah. I, I might find it. But I didn't get directly targeted by by any of it.
1: Does reading the comments under like you might be looking at the Conic Telegraph or the Western? I People. never read them. No, you don't.
2: I never read well, them. Well, that's good. I I started doing the podcast with the boys, and um, you know, you'd be up there and you'd be out put out there in the world. And don't necessarily want that. It's a weird thing. I love doing the podcast. I love what comes with it. But I don't really like the... Too much interaction on Mm. the social media stuff. Um, I don't really put myself out too much for it. I never really use social media that much.
1: You have a boundary there. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: so I, I... there's stuff that I don't post and stuff, and so I don't really open myself up to it too much. And then I put stuff up for the podcast, or I put up a video, or but so I don't really get an awful lot of it. You would always get abuse people that say, "Oh, if you're promoting something, or you're oh, who do you think you are?" And you kind of, I don't think I'm anybody. I'm just doing it because, for X or Y reason. Um, yeah. so I don't. I specifically when I started the podcast, um, I didn't put myself up to read the comments that are underneath it. Right. Because I was always afraid. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to... Like, if that was the case, I'd be constantly... Like, it can be a very lonely place then, you know. and um, You're there doing something that you like doing, your podcast or whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, and if you're getting abused for it, um, or you're getting yeah. criticised for it, the, it's, there- it, it if, like, everybody... Every like nobody is that thick skin that it isn't going to affect them you the, know? the
1: reason I ask is because when we were down I was working with ITV the day before uh, he arrived and we were going around Ballina and we went in and they showed us this brick that they were going to present to him yeah so I don't I saw this your video yeah oh then. did you yeah yeah of course um did it did it annoy you did it upset you
2: no no it didn't oh, no no okay. no no it, it, I do get annoyed and offended when people talk about him as in Sleepy Joe and you know yeah. all that sort of stuff and how he's but then I this- She's like, you let that go too, so... You know.
1: Yeah, because I, I genuinely wouldn't want to have offended... No, no, to I, I, I enjoyed it. ...offended enjoyed it. you or offended him. And I like to try and use a little bit of comedy to highlight... Of
2: course, yeah, and it's and you're good at it and it so, comes easy to you. So
1: people are saying, like, you know, fair enough. So the video has got 1.4 million views on wow. it, on Instagram and it's gone viral now. And yeah. it obviously went into a few of these Trump groups who... Um, the and,
2: bots were after you. And
1: hundreds, yeah. uh, uh, thousands in fact... Yeah. Uh, slid into my DMs yeah. kind of saying this, that and the other and why are you giving him airtime? and why are you giving him this and these yeah. are, they don't follow me, they don't know me, they don't know anything about yeah, me
2: Yeah, see once it goes viral it's up there for them to yeah. find it, you know But from my
1: from my point of view anyway, I was just trying to highlight the fact that this brick came from his ancestral home here yeah. in a funny way yeah. Tie it in with Father Ted, everyone knows Father Ted and, yeah, and the yeah, brick yeah. scene but I honestly didn't expect the the abuse I got yeah like but thousands it's, 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 of messages but it's
2: horrid isn't it it's it's horrid like it's really horrid but
1: but then I, I started to wonder you know does that affect you like do you get upset when you see those comments
2: no I don't so, g- I don't get them t- I, I have to say my experience with Instagram is good in that I don't really like again you can filter out a lot of it you can not mm. accept it or you can Um and then Twitter, I mean, you'll always get. Yeah. I mean, it's always people that don't have a name, you know. Uh, Twitter's a, a rough r- spot now, in fairness. You know, it's, it's, r- it's someone who's not brave enough to put their own name on their Twitter account, you know. Yeah. And they're, oh, they're all talk, you know. You meet them then. In pub, you know, if you met them, they'd be all, oh, yeah
1: yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, Th- can
2: I get a selfie, Alan? You that's know, so like,
1: interesting. Yeah. My biggest online troll on Facebook is uh, a cameraman. And I've met him at so many events. Um, we work for the, we work with the same companies. He's never once acknowledged me in real life. Doesn't talk to me, doesn't say anything to me. That's and he, he's the only person I've ever had to block on Facebook.
2: It's just too weird. And even
1: two days ago I was doing a thing with Mayo Day and he's the only person that abused me on Facebook. But
2: why? Like I don't understand these people. What's what is like obviously they're Look, it, it says more about them than it says about you know yeah. you or or whoever they're abusing because it's a case of they've obviously got a lot of issues and but
1: what's interesting is they can't do it in real life.
2: No, no, they like. I they, was
1: standing shoulder to shoulder with this guy well, when he wouldn't say a
2: thing to you. when Joe Biden was landing. Up, I'm surprised he wasn't up asking you for a picture. Like, oh yeah, you know, because that's the old bullshit that's. Yeah, that is you know it's all like it's all bravado stuff online it's all
1: so so my next question then is right so thank god you don't see any of that or you don't take it on and that's great well can thanks you thanks
2: now i'll probably get it now Alan. no and I hope, you do, <laughs> I hope
1: you don't but can you describe the joe biden you know then
2: that's what i mean and so that's why i get kind of like
1: uh, who's the joe biden you know what what is he tell us about him
2: he's just he's just a kind caring really personable man
1: But that came across on his trip. Well,
2: yeah, it does. And in fairness, you can't hide that stuff. You can't manufacture that stuff you know um somebody told me that when when trump came to ireland as the president uh, all he wanted to do was go to his hotel and not to be bothered and he had an interview he, i think he met the Taoiseach and in, in like a, a careful room yeah and, i'm going know, to get so
1: many trump people yeah, onto yeah, me now well, go, well go to alan this is all alan's fault it's <laughs> okay, not go, mine right go on. well like
2: and so they were working on this trip and they're saying oh my god this is bloody the exact opposite this is like This man wants to meet everyone, he wants to talk to everybody. He's just a good, down-to-earth man who has lived his life, experienced hardship, experienced tremendous loss by um, losing his first wife and his daughter in a horrific car accident. Um, His two boys, he was sworn into the Senate at their hospital bed. So he has empathy for people. I see when he's speaking to people whose kids die in school shootings... He talks to them with complete and utter respect and empathy. He's not speaking to them like he's the president of America. He's speaking to them as he's Joe Biden. He's a man who's suffered loss, who understands loss. Um, And that's what he's like to talk to. When I said to you earlier, it was very kind of, he's, you don't like, it's like me and you chatting. I don't feel like, oh God, he's the president of America. Like, you can't say that to him. You know, he's very, um, good-natured and genuine and he talks so much about having empathy and respect and dignity for others and he talks about how his you know his father always says you know nobody's better than you no everyone's your equal and that's how he lives his life and that's the kind of person he is so what you see and it, I hate this stuff about oh he's senile or he can't speak properly Well, first of all he had a stutter for all of his childhood life and st- and anyone who has a stutter will have empathy for that and how he was able to get over that um, and and go beyond that boundary to become the president of the United States. He had so much to overcome in that alone. Like he showed me before when he when he's reading a, a speech, he has to put lines through it. He has to break up the speech, the, the sentence so that he doesn't come to it and stutter. And, you know, because it's always going to be there with you. You just have to learn, you have to learn to overcome it. I, I don't know, I'm not speaking from experience, mm. but I'm speaking from what he was telling me. You have to, you know, you're always, so when he stops at something or he says something or he's he fluffs over something, it's not that he's senile or that he forgets or that he's like where he is, you know, and then that narrative has always played out, you know, always. Oh, but, but that narrative
1: comes from ninety percent of the content online is yeah. taken out of context.
2: Yeah, it's all and taken pe-
1: out. like people need to cop on because what we do, it's scary at the moment. People but will, will watch a 10-second video and mm-hmm. make up their opinion.
2: But that's the way the world is gone now, Alan. Like, it's but people
1: need to take a step back and realize. Hang on now, a second. Where's the other twenty seconds of this? Yeah, video? and people now
2: everything can be like enhanced so much, or oh. you know, s- slowed down or sped mm. up or whatever, and you can. And and it's for clicks, it's for likes, it's for yeah, you know that's clickbait. like and that's the problem. And now America's gone so divisive, isn't it? And so you're either a Fox News watcher or you're a CNN watcher. There's nowhere down the middle where, like I Matthew McConaughey said in an interview recently, it's hard. We're we're struggling in America now to actually know what a fact is. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, yeah. The world is going like that. When I was at but the they're, they're ahead of us. When I
1: was at the airport, um, waiting for the plane to arrive, I got a message saying, "Oh yeah, look at you there. You're up Fina Gale's hole. <laughs> How could you possibly?" consider me up finnegales hole. i'm not on i'm not associated to any political party mm. i've never even acknowledged any political party and i work for the airport or, or work yeah. alongside the airport yeah. but it's interesting people's perspective oh, yeah, where they see oh look at your man at the airport he's obviously up Fiena Gale's hole. what's yeah. it got to do with Fiena Gale? <laughs> i know what i was like. it has absolutely nothing to do with them whatsoever
2: yeah yeah it's it's ridiculous it's i mean you just have to have an unbelievably thick skin oh. and you've just got to laugh all that stuff off because like and again,
1: again, I'm not I'm not affiliated to any political party, left or right or Trump or Biden, or I, I don't support anyone. And I yeah, just I saw you having to make
2: a video saying, hang on, I'm just, you know, getting in on the whole Biden thing. Like, hey, just like, relax, lads. It just was just, relax.
1: but that's what we do though, isn't it? Like if yes. something happens in Mayo, it's like happy days. Yeah. This is mighty. Let's do it. Of
2: course. Let's get on with it. I mean, there was the most amount of people to ever be in, like at a speech. I couldn't believe this. The. 27,000 people were in Balaná for a speech. That's the most amount of people that he's ever spoken to at a public event. Um, and you'd think coming from America, be, but for security reasons, they would never allow that many people to gather, I suppose, for an event like that. And he doesn't really go out speaking in public to, you know, on the streets or whatever. Yeah. So that's why it was a big thing here. And there was an
1: article as well that revenue went up, hotels were up, of restaurants course. were up, coffee shops were it up. And
2: continues to do that in the spin-off mm. for him. And it's brilliant. Look, I mean... Um, JFK came Barack Obama came uh, who else came Ronald Reagan came so you know like
1: the the thing cares. that impressed me the most about him is that he had a busy morning in Dublin then down into the airport round knock at the hospice and then by the time 10 or 11 o'clock came that night he got up he did his speech he was fresh as a daisy mm. going out onto that stage yeah and he didn't fluff up one single word.
2: No, and and, he and has, everyone was waiting for it. Yeah,
1: everyone yeah. was was waiting. What's the fuck up going to be?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's look. And then they could use that video as. A, and
1: there wasn't one. Yeah. How impressive is that at his age?
2: I mean, it's super impressive. But the other thing to remember is that we retire here at a certain age. They're going berserk in France because they're trying to increase the retirement age by two years from 62 to 64 or something like that we retire here at whatever age it is now it kind of creeps up here we don't really know until we're trying to retire and then we can't um, but in America you don't retire there's no retirement age like Nancy Pelosi was a house speaker um, for like she's still a, a senator or but she's like 82 years of age like um, she's an impressive woman you don't retire in america because you don't have the retirement benefits that you would have here you know you don't have a pension and of sorts you know things are different over there the cost of living is so high so for him to retire it's not really something he knows uh to do he's a politician through and through he's the age he is um if he runs again or he wins again he'll be like 86 when he leaves you know so it's a big age but I mean, I was. It was interesting to watch last week. They did a video in America. They went around, and I think it was BBC World News or something. And they interviewed maybe ten or fifteen people over eighty and asked them, you know, what do they think about Joe Biden announcing that he was going to run again? And they were like, you know, it's ageism, like criticizing us at our age. Like I could be as good as I am and somebody who's 71 or someone who's 61 could be worse you just don't know it's the individual it's the person and you know he has a great team of doctors around him and specialists and family and everyone like he's not you know if he's going to be not able to run he won't run like Mm -hmm. he's you see him up close and personal when you're in his company and he's physically strong he's goes to he he goes to the gym every day before he starts his day's work you know if he wasn't able to do any of that stuff he wouldn't be running again Mm -hmm. um and he's passionate about the state of the country i suppose and to go again um he feels that his his duty as an american to serve the people and that's kind of where it is at,
1: I have to tell you in the lead up to his visit as well my phone was hopping uh, from people all over the world asking me do you know Larita? can <laughs> can you get Larita?" and I've never been photoed with you or seen with you or associated with you yeah. every TV outlet in the world must have been just googling Popular Mayo people yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. A- any any connection we can get to Lorita at all?
2: Yeah, I know. Sure, was your your phone bananas? Phone was mental. I mean, I I think on the day he was there, I think I had like something like one hundred and fifty eight. Uh, unread WhatsApp messages, and I was like, Oh Jesus, what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to actually go back and read these? I said to my nephew, who's 13, I was like, I need a second to go through these. He said, I'll do it for you if you give me a good price, you know. Um, like it was all that kind of stuff emails and phone calls and phone calls and phone calls. Um, and Alan but, Clark was
1: once saying, When you do a podcast with yeah, me on yeah, Monday, yeah,
2: yeah, I didn't, you know, like obviously, as I said to you, like, um, you know, you when you work in the media as well, and I did for a long time, that you sort of get to know a lot of people and um, Ireland is a small country so you are obviously know a lot of people who work in it so you obviously try and oblige as many people as you can but there's also there's also limits and burnout and kind of like oh how can I many more times can I tell you the same story you know and you're just you're sort of doing it Almost robotically, you're kind of like, I don't even know what I said, and that you know. It's, but it's
1: interesting though; that some of the international media don't have any boundaries. Like they, they, they will absolutely plague you until you and answer you the phone like, or reply.
2: And it's kind of like for what, like a piece of flesh. Like and this is relax. good news.
1: This is a good news story. Yeah, Could yeah, you imagine like, if it was bad news? Oh,
2: it's awful! It's awful. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But like. You know, there's only so much you can do and there's only so much you can say and so yeah. I kind of eventually was like, Ah, I'll just let it go and let it go and look and I suppose it's my own fault. There was a lot of, at the start when he, you know, was running for it, I was happy to do those interviews and so you get to a point where you're like well, look, you, you brought it on yourself, so, yeah. you know, you have to, you take it, look, you take it for, you know, you don't take it personally and you realise that next week they'll have absolutely zero interest in you, um, so you just... Well, I really I appreciate
1: it. your time and, and I feel bad being one of those 158 <laughs> text messages. <but laughs> well, I, I
2: opened yours, so that's what TV bad. Yeah,
1: I know. I do appreciate you taking the time. And I have to mention as well that we're sitting here today in Mount Falcon Estate. Beautiful. Um, acres and acres and acres of woodland. We're in one of the suites upstairs. in fabulous. these Fabulous armchairs with Foxford cushions all around us. Uh, we've had after-
2: afternoon tea. That was the big one.
1: Afternoon tea here on the coffee table in front of us. Lovely coffee. Have you ever had afternoon tea on your podcast?
2: No, just pints. Just, just pints. pints. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is how I roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Guinness. Know. Just Guinness. I record um, all my I'm disappointed. There wasn't a point here for me, Alan. Well, I, I did, did offer. <laughs> you did, in fairness. In fairness, I, <laughs> I've had a long weekend, so I mean, I I think a point might push me over the. It end. was one of the
1: terms and conditions. I said, like, if you want more in porter, that can happen.
2: Yeah, more porter. I'm, I'm, we we it got so bad we had to take a break from having more in porter so. let's Let's
1: talk about you then for a few moments. Yeah, uh, we we've we've had we've crossed paths or we, we've had similar journeys. Yeah, yeah. We've both come from a radio background mm-hmm. and we've both been uh, fired in to uh-huh. the world of media. And then we both went out starting our own podcasts. Yeah. Um, how has your media journey been? Have you enjoyed it?
2: Yeah, I mean, media is, like, I—I I, it was something I always wanted to do. Like, I was 17, 16 years of age, I was reckoning Midwest Radio doing match reports at the weekends. And I just loved, I loved the buzz of it, you know. I went to Ballyfermit and did um, radio and TV journalism there. Um, and I loved it. But mostly the audio part of it, never really the TV side of it, never really got me as excited Um
1: did you find it difficult doing match reports uh, at a 17-year-old being a female?
2: Yeah, probably. Because b- but back
1: then, like w- it was like Willie the Shoe days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It like was
2: yeah, yeah, he was the first man there that so I worked with. Yeah. For people that don't My know. My sister used to do it as well. She was older than me and she used to do it, you know, with him as well.
1: For people who don't know, Willie the Shoe was an absolute legend yeah. of Irish broadcasting, particularly sport. And then yeah. for a female to come in under, like, there were sexist times. Like, there's yeah. no there's no question. Did you find it difficult?
2: I didn't. I didn't because I'm born and raised in Gaelic football at home in Knockmore. I was always part of the club. I never really grew up feeling like I wasn't, I was out of place speaking to men about football. Okay. Um, I was always part of like the club. I was, I was involved in the club. I played football myself. Um, I was, in, my father was coaching on underage. I used to be there all the time. So when I have a conversation with men about, about football, I never feel like they say, and these are people from around my own club, I never feel like they think, oh, she's a woman, like she doesn't really know much about it. I always felt that's good to be in.
1: And the reason I ask is because mm. I'm in broadcasting or I'm in media all my life as well. And when I was 15, 16, 17 years of age, you would see those text messages coming in as soon as a female started talking about Mm. lads playing Gaelic. You'd see them coming in. You'd see the comment.
2: I suffered... In a way, not suffered, but I experienced that you're a you're a woman, like going for jobs. Not not my not locally, um, but if I went f- like I went for a job nationally, probably about twelve years ago now, and felt I had the experience in football, in sport, in general, because I I would watch. I mean, the only sport that I don't like is Formula One. I just can't get my head around watching it. Um, but the rest of it, I would sit down for hours. Whatever's on, I'll watch. Um, I felt like I had the knowledge of sport to apply for jobs in on, on a national level. And I went to a place, had an interview with a person that was in control. And he's basically on the laptop and he was like, not really interested and he said, Look, look, your stuff's good, your demo's good, you know, but to be honest, there's already two women working here already. So to be honest, you're like there's too many women. Um men don't really like listening to women doing sports. Um Did he say that? Yeah, yeah, he said this to me. I was like I'm standing there going, Oh my God, what the fuck? And I said to him, Well with all due respect, I think if you're and I still have this feeling, I still think that I think we're going now to an opposite side of it where you're like, women are getting jobs because they're women. And I do have a, an issue with that too. I think if you're qualified for the job, whether you're a man or a woman, that you should be a, being considered for the job on those merits and not because you're a woman. And I feel like now we're kind of going to a level where it's like, oh, well, you know, we better better give it. If, if it was a man and a woman going for a job now, you kind of feel, well, well, the woman's going to get the job because they don't want to be seen as sexist. But like this was... Probably twelve or fifteen years ago. So this was time when it was okay to be sexist, or, and I was like, oh, "Well, I I feel like I'm I'm good at the job. I don't." And, and he says, "Yeah." He says, "To be honest, men don't really. They're uninterested in listening to women. Um, you know, they're it's, it wouldn't work. Uh, there's too many women here already." And I said, "Right, so that's it. Oh, yeah, look at if anything changes forgive give you gold." And I just was like, "Fuck you, like, is this?" It's, It's bullshit like. Um, So I did experience it in that level and that kind of then soured me kind of like, oh I couldn't be bothered. Like this is too much shit. I'm just going to go and look for a job in in media elsewhere like PR, which I absolutely hated. I worked in PR for a while, um, but it was not for me. And, um, you know, I genuinely didn't ever really experience that other than that time. And I don't experience it on a day-to-day basis. Good. But I do feel that there is this thing now where we're overcompensating for what we did 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago of not having women do things. And now it's nearly like a tokenism thing. And I know that there's a thing where the pendulum has to swing the exact opposite way in order for it to come back to the middle in, in order to eventually level itself out mm-hmm. um, it's not nice and it's not like I would hate to think I'd be getting something just because I was a woman and not getting it because I should be getting the job
1: mm-hmm. so you worked then in local in local radio then? yeah for well a I, always, while.
2: I always have a connection to local radio I worked in iRadio which I left local radio to go to iRadio which was kind of like a semi-national kind of radio station um, and I absolutely love that and that's where I actually met Tommy and Hector and that's how we got to know each other became friendly and we worked together there and um, my boss at the time was like oh look I have two fellas coming in who's going to do a radio show didn't tell me who they were they're coming in later I want to, you to meet them because I think that you're going to I I was working in sport at the time you're going to work with them he says I think that your personality and their personality get on so as it happened it was Tommy and Hector and he was obviously he was right and we did get on great and we would a few great years together in radio and I started off doing sport and then I just became part of their show. And then they left, I was t- continued on on iRadio. And then I sort of, you get kind of to a point, you're like, I'm here, I'm not going to really make any money at it. And you're sort of stuck at the same level and there's only so much you can do. And you're kind of like, oh.
1: Well um, no one does radio for money No That's for sure No, like, no. no And one's you would get, never On it's, a local level No one's getting rich
2: No But the other thing is You know people, Young people say to me Oh how Like I'd love to do this Or I always say now I'd never advise A young person To go and do media Like as a course Or Because like Go and do something else Whatever it may be Whether it's nursing Or veterinary Or accountancy Or whatever Because if you want to get in To media You'll get in You know You can be you know, you can be there slaving away doing college courses and stuff. And the problem with that is you're qualified to do media, but you're not qualified to do anything else if yeah. the media doesn't work out. Whereas if you're qualified to do something and you want to do media, you can get into it. There's so many different ways. And nowadays, more than there ever was before, you know, you can write a, a column in the paper or you can do your own podcast, you can yeah. have a YouTube channel, you can get a radio show, you can do all that. So I would always say to younger people, don't isolate yourself by doing the media stuff because you can come around to it at any point. Um, so
1: you went your separate ways then the from the Tommy and Hector and yeah. I radio thing and then you, you went back then to Midwest for a while.
2: Yeah, I was back in Midwest doing bits and pieces in there. And Did um, you
1: feel that was like a step back? Or No, like?
2: I never felt like that and I never took that attitude um Ever
1: as long as you were just doing the job, you were happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
2: always took that, and I was—I always, so always had admiration for people who can go do a job and they can be there for like all their lives, or, you know, they're doing the same job. I like have just like I can't. I'm not interested. In my attention span doesn't allow me to do that. <laughs> um, that's because I'm not academically applied. Like so, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm bored now. I want to go and do something else. Or oh, I'm doing. I want to do. So I was. So I was kind of floating around on it, and then I got out of media entirely by. By going to work for the hospice um but i still did a couple of shows on midwest um because i still had a relationship with them and i was still able to cover and do that and i loved that as well because it meant i was staying in touch with what i liked doing it's a bug isn't it yeah it's a bug it's a disaster you don't want to but you love it and yeah. you can't help it i just continued to do that for a while and then obviously covid came sort of everything and then i had like four missed calls from Tommy one day Tommy Tiernan, and it was like I was like what hello and he goes are we going to do something are we going to get back together and I'm sort of bored it's lockdown I can't do anything let's try and do a podcast let's try and do something so we created the podcast and it's just it worked out great and it's I love I love working with them Um, it's it doesn't feel like work because you're not I swear we were never forced together in one sense we just developed a relationship and we get on really well, and it's easy, and it's not a chore, and um, and and we we absolutely love doing the podcast, and we took a break from it because there's a lot of traveling going on, and we can, it's it's okay to do podcasts remotely once or twice or whatever, but if you're doing them over a couple of weeks, it's it's hard going, you know, it's you don't get that same buzz as when you're together and the energy you get off people. So we're on a break now, and I have to say I'm I'm loving it. I thought I would really miss it and really find it difficult to. Not be doing it. Because we're doing it twice a week or whatever. Um, But I'm enjoying it so far. I suppose I had the distraction of the president's trip. And. And All the rest of it, but I miss it. And I'm I, look, if we manage to last the five months, great. And if we don't, and we get back sooner, we'd be delighted. I know
1: too. a lot of people say, Look, it's easy, you're sitting down talking for an hour, but like, there's an awful lot to it. Like, you're looking for content, you're trying to create different talking points, meet twice a week.
2: Yeah, I know it can be, of course. It's you know, it's it comes across effortless and all of that, but it's still talking like you're to- like. I love talking, but sometimes I get talked out, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and it's hard. And if we were trying to some days do two in a row and then that two in the one day and then that, that was too difficult as well. Because you're kind of like, oh, like, you have to remember that we might find it okay, but somebody's listening to this and they're going to enjoy it. And we have the same energy buzz from it. So um, we didn't want to burn out and stop. Okay. Um, Because we know we have... Something good going on there. So we were happier to take a break.
1: And do you mind me asking why you never did the video side of things?
2: Because we just about know how to record it. I remember (laughs) we were doing our first one. um, Again, we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And we all had an understanding of radio and I had a laptop that had, you know, the editing equipment on it. So I was like, I'll bring the editing equipment. Tommy had the microphones. We basically found a way of sticking them all into the laptop at the same time. The microphones and we were like, oh my God, this is great. Oh my God, we can actually hear ourselves. Oh, we're recording. Oh, this is brilliant. Of course, it was a disaster and I don't think we were ever able to even use the first episode we ever did. Maybe we'll be able to at some point use it, but um, because did, we're not tech any of us are tech and I mean if we ever have a little breakdown at all in communications in the studio it's like oh press this button or turn it all off and turn <laughs> it back on again and like we have no idea so um, the commitment of, of doing the video stuff was probably another other days work you know I always loved about radio you didn't have to have you could go in in your tracksuit and you could go in it, whether it be radio or whatever and you didn't have to put on makeup and you didn't have to do your hair and you didn't have all that so there is a there is a side to that that I like about radio and everything is coming up in the videos and we've discussed it and we've said oh we will we'll definitely do that and we'll definitely do it and and we just never did so we just
1: I love the fact that there's we're no, not
2: motivated in that sense I
1: love the fact that there's no video because when you're in say Leonard's pub there in Lahardon. Like I'm visualizing wellies on the shelf, and there's yeah. a there's a hacksaw, and then there's there's a loaf of bread, and there's a box of cornflakes, and yeah. you're you're forced to visualize that. Where we're not forced to visualize that with anything anymore.
2: No, everything's just there. It's lazy anymore for people that people don't have to use their imagination for anything like everything I mean you don't even have to read an article in the paper anymore it's at the top of it it's like press the button and you can yeah. listen to a summary of the article you know it's like jeez like everything is
1: and well, you know. without, without going back to the Joe Biden thing for too long like I was listening to Michael D McAndrew's coverage of it in the car that night when uh, Joe Biden was in Ballina and I I I felt like I was there from listening to Michael D where yeah. I wouldn't have got that from watching RT on the telly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because I, I the
1: presenter sits back and and lets the camera do the talking. Yeah. Whereas Michael D is picking up on every little thing yeah. that you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even look out for if you were watching the telly. Yeah. And he's he's painting that picture and he does it fantastic with football matches. He does it as well, yeah. That particular night, the coverage, and I even said it, I met Tommy Marin yesterday in who's the manager of Midwest. I met him on the street in Ballinan, I said that the coverage was just Incredible, second yeah. to none. Yeah, I preferred listening to it than watching it.
2: Yeah, it's like I love on a Sunday if you're in the car. Like, I mean, I'm I i I'm more of a football Gaelic than hurling. But like, if I'm in the car on Sunday and Marty Morrissey or someone's doing hurling comedy, like, there is nothing better than listening to that. Because you're in the car, you're driving and you're just you're transported to that place by audio, you know, and that's the beauty of audio and it's can be the good and bad side of it. But, like, people, for instance, we do our podcast in a shed at the bottom of Tommy's garden and it's a hen house. And, and so people... Visualize what the hen house is like and what it looks like inside, and you know the smell
1: of cigars in there.
2: And there is a bloody smell of cigars. <laughs> like I can assure you, every time I leave, I'm like, for fuck's sake, I can smell that the on my car. The stink, carpet. the stink. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's probably better than hen hen <laughs> shit, but I'm not sure. But um, yeah, so like there is that side of it, and we love it, and and it is nice, and people love it, and they're enjoying it, and it's um like you feel like you're part of the conversation with people. Like, um, I think that's why people are drawn to the show as well in that it's three people having a conversation like as if you're in and we go to the pub but like it's like if you're in the pub with your friends and you're listening and like, people, people come in say to me it's like we're eavesdropping on a conversation you know yeah. if you're on the bus or the train you're here overhearing some that's what it feels like that's why it works and it, it that's what it is like and it's very natural and it's very not kind of prepared we don't prepare stuff we don't do stuff like that so you know it's we don't have pre-production meetings and post-production okay, meetings. Okay, that's interesting. We don't have topics. That we say, oh, we're going to talk about this. Or we literally get a cup of tea in the morning or a cup of coffee when we get to Tommy's house and we're not really allowed to talk, not even general stuff, not like chit-chat about what like we did for the week. Yeah, where, I like that. Because that chit-chat then could lead to an interesting conversation. So that's how it works and it's um, maybe that's why it, it, it can last as long as it is because if you overthink something, sometimes it doesn't have the same
1: I am I love how there's always like it's it's almost like three people in a ring and you're waiting to latch on to that one thing
2: yeah. you know
1: my favourite episode was, was Gus Kelly
2: oh yeah like, I mean, like poor, who would have thought like, poor
1: old Gus Kelly I
2: was like shit like oh my god what are you bloody doing and like the <laughs> more I said it the more they just exploded with laughter and know? it
1: just kept going and yeah. going and going and I'm paying for the crash in cash and, and
2: now everybody has this vision of like Gus Kelly going around in to, a like, the suit. horse racing and <laughs> buying horses and you know in in the paddock, and you know, all that stuff, and then it was the same with Auntie Ray. When Hector, we were <laughs> like, Hector, you don't have an auntie, Gold Ray, we'll shut up. Like, and then he was there ringing the cousins, What's her name? You know, so it's always the slagging and the fun of it. So it's
1: there's it, nothing real like that anymore, though. That's no, the beauty and that's of it. That's
2: another part of it that's that's again why it works, I suppose, and why it's a success, and you know, all of that. But um, it's it's lovely to be part of it, and I, you know, if it, it's it's lovely to do it with the two lads as well because again you're going back to you know kind of social media stuff and every like when you're a woman you're so examined about like probably same for men like but from a woman's point of view you're examined if you have too much weight or you have not enough makeup on or you have too much makeup on or your skin is bad or you're you know there's always like question and you're always kind of hypersensitive to stuff like that but when I'm with those two fellas who have so much experience in the media and all of that you just don't feel like you have to be kind of up, you know, you can just feel like you're being yourself and, you know, there's no kind of...
1: I'm experiencing a lot of that recently. I'm getting a, a lot of comment on, on particular things. like it's weird, isn't it? My eyebrows get a lot of abuse.
2: Why? I don't know. Well, obviously... They're they're manicured or not manicured. Not enough?
1: manicured enough. One of them is is a bit invisible there. It's a bit blonde.
2: You need to start filling them in. Yeah. And then the problem is you if you start getting them. Oh,
1: sure, you're a bollocks. Done, well, what look the at that fuck bollocks that filling Kerr? it, filling out his that eyebrows. Alan
2: <laughs> he's, you know. And
1: then lately, I'm getting comment on my my weight that I need to put on weight.
2: Yeah, like that's People what I mean. It's like it's it's mad, and 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 especially. That was the one thing as well. I always preferred if I was doing radio with somebody else or I was doing some. Because when you're on your own, you're the sole focus of the attention. And it's any little thing will be pick up. Oh, you've, you you pronounce that in a different way. Or yeah. You don't talk like that. Or you say that like, or you. And you're like,
1: fuck off. One man. of the first whole openings I ever got on Midwest was uh, there's a village called um, Bacon. Yeah. But it's spelled B E K A N, and I said beacon. Oh yeah. Oh well, I'm not messing. I thought I wasn't going to make it out of the building alive. Oh,
2: it's it's well. Now you see that's the other side of it. And you know your local radio, and you think you're like you're from the place, you know. Yeah. And like I I I slagged about this on the podcast before as well. I was saying like I did the death notices one day, like, and uh, that I mean you can forget about it if you get oh. the death notices wrong. First of all, and like. Even in Mayo, like, Mayo was a massive county. Like, there's so many villages Huge. and townlands and places. And, like, I think, oh, I know, like, everywhere because I've been to, I'd say, every village in Ireland, in Mayo, going to football matches, yeah. whether it was covering them for Midwest, for soccer or football, or going to them to watch Knockmore playing. And you think you know how to pronounce places. Oh, my God. I mean, when I was told I had to read the death notices, I was as well off if I was been told that I had to be... Stood up yeah. and stripped naked. The sweat is out, and yeah, it was too much for yeah, me. Yeah. And then the next thing the phone goes, well, she didn't pronounce that place right at all, and yeah. you're like, oh fuck, I'm sorry. Like, or like, I was doing a show one day and I forgot to play the bingo numbers. Well, honest to God, I was nearly like, <laughs>
1: I've, I've been that soldier. Who
2: do I, you think you are? Yeah. Like, you can fuck off with your songs. <laughs>
1: yeah, get so the bloody bingo halfway through the Walk of Life. Then you have to stop it and say sorry. I forgot to play the bingo numbers. Th- Let's be, join David now for today's bingo numbers. You
2: could be in the middle of telling your life story yeah. and that you're about to drop off. They like, don't care. And then the next thing is, like, sorry, I'm sitting here with the pen in my hand with, with the bingo numbers. Yeah. Would you get them on? Like you know. And I, so, I think
1: one of the biggest compliments I've ever been given was... God, you're lovely at reading the Death Notes.
2: Well, that's now...
1: There's a lady uh, out our way I now, mean, that's
2: as good as you can get. And
1: every time I meet her, she goes, Oh, I do miss you on the radio. And I, and I, not that I was on it that often. Well, I suppose you're covering for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you think you're not on it often, but yeah. people do build up. And every time I meet her now, she goes to me, Oh, you were brilliant at the Deaths. You were brilliant. And I and then if she saw me reading the debts, yeah. sweat pouring down my face, you're running out to the receptionist. Don't get going, it wrong. How do you how do you pronounce this? How do you pronounce this? And no matter how you're, many times you're yeah. you practice it, you will not get it right. You're right. there phonetically trying to write it out oh, and, oh the stress and they go on for about
2: five or six minutes. Oh stop. I mean I can't it, it, honestly that was like more stressful than yeah. anything. I used to do the election coverage, which I loved, you know, going off down to Sligo and doing the coverage. Loved all that. Like it didn't matter what situation you'd be thrown into there live. no problem. Debt notices absolutely absolutely no thank you <laughs> i was like oh please can someone else just do them please i used yeah. to say to receptions please could you just pre-record them but uh no it's you know it was a great learning curve though being on local radio because there's a certain element that you're allowed to get away with and you you can make loads of mistakes and you can learn from them and you can you know get your own rhythm in it and i always felt that it was the best place to learn yeah. um you know than having to go off and try and make it and
1: Midwest listeners let you away with nothing though no nothing yeah. like when I was on Galway BFM you could say anything and it would go over their head yeah the majority really? the majority of the time yeah, yeah. I'd be on the breakfast we show you see
2: pure loyalty with Midwest listeners who turn that radio on in the morning and they won't turn off in the evening oh, and yeah. you know your every waking and move you know they have um, a share in the business yeah or yeah. like when I went well, it was in Midwest and then, and then I went to iRadio like n- you meet people and it's like that they'd be like oh it's great you're on the radio blah, blah blah and then you're gone and you're like oh like I thought you know naively oh well I thought iRadio was you know hipper trendy or cooler you know Pfft, nobody even heard of it like <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> like yeah, you know yeah. pop yourself on kind of thing yeah. you know? so no matter what you do um, local radios where the, the people around you are attached to and associated with but I know it was, it's it's a great place to start I have to say
1: Have me. you got any further goals or ambitions?
2: <sighs> five year plans what's the five year plans? I don't know I'm a kind of an unusual well I don't know if it's unusual but I'm very like oh sure look at sure see what happens sure you know I always feel like if you have too many plans and they don't work out sure that's another day's work and that's another stress you know Um. No, I mean, I didn't have an ambition to, to do a podcast. Uh, I'm doing it and I love it. and So I don't really, like, I don't have any aspirations to become the next presenter of The Late Late Show or ever. Have people
1: been hounding you for a live podcast?
2: Yeah, a live podcast, yeah. And it's something that we we are thinking of doing and we're looking at and again we're like ah, yeah, yeah we'll do it at some stage we're we're a, an unmotivated bunch as you may have gathered <laughs> um but yeah like that sort of stuff would love to do it yeah if, great if it works out it works out great would love to do it um but like I wouldn't I'm not sure about plans for aspirations I don't really know to be honest I'm just happy enough to you know to to be healthy and and happy and and just take every day as it comes I, I'm not a great woman for too many plans, to be honest. I don't really like making plans for a month's time because really tied down to that, you know. I'm um, the same, yeah. And what do you do sure in your downtime then?
1: What do you do to chill out?
2: Uh, I, I, I hate to admit this as a woman in her late thirties, but I've got an Xbox and I play FIFA cool a lot uh, and does NBA the beloved basketball. play with you no but no absolutely you have to do that in my pure own down down time like okay. as in nobody else in the house i mean <laughs> i play with my nephews is 13. it like a dirty secret yeah i mean even saying it out loud is kind of like shit i've got an xbox i know he bought it for myself for my birthday present like Cool. last birthday so yeah an Xbox um, I, I played that it was always something I had as a kid me and my brother um had like an Atari a Sega you know we what's would, your
1: first game that you remember
2: oh it was always like Sonic the Hedgehog uh, Sonic the Hedgehog did, and you, then, br- like, did you have Steam- Paperboy
1: did you ever have that game on no. the Atari? Sorry, okay, go not on. Not sure. Sonic the Hedgehog. What Maybe else?
2: I did. I can't remember. It was always Sonic the Hedgehog and tetris things and, you know, and then always was FIFA, like FIFA, whatever, FIFA, whatever year it was. Um, NFL games, uh, basketball, more sporty stuff. I'm not really into the... I'm not really into like the Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that um'm I'm, I'm afraid I could probably get too into it and I don't want to go around shooting people i not <laughs> I don't think I mean, so I mean I cars and bad was I was, I was now. watching a, yeah I was watching um, <laughs> a, a surgeon a neurosurgeon on with Tommy one day and he was saying he does that in his downtown and plays like precise video games so um, I thought when he when he does it and he's like in his Fifties, whatever. I think, nah, no, probably that, okay that for me makes to do it. it okay. So I do that in my own downtime. Well, I like, literally would not admit that. I'm after admitting that to you now, um, and I, I shouldn't have, um, because like I don't even tell my friends that I do that. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, just. just reading or whatever and I'm like they're playing fucking fuck stop ringing me I'm in the middle of a game you know managing I'm in the middle of managing Liverpool to fucking to you know like the FA Cup final like would you back off you know yeah. so that's sort of stuff that I'm into and then obviously like music and um, just listening to alternative any not alternative but like again an embarrassing kind of like country music stuff and not Irish country more American country like listening to that kind of stuff and I love the idea of holidays and trying to get away as much as possible and as much time as I can to get away, and it's not that I'm a sun worshiper either. Um, I think it's just the idea of being away and just nice. I'm I'm a t- typical white, um, like I've absolutely got no genes to get a tan at yeah. all. Like it's just I've like zero carotene in my body and <laughs> like um, like so or whatever it is called, but um, I can't just can't get a tan. So I well. I just don't like it. So if I'm away on holidays and I like to kind of do and stuff, kind of you know. I
1: love that you have that thing, and, and, and that it's the gaming. And I think everyone needs a thing. And yeah. I, my dad used to rent a Sega for me uh, every second week. Brilliant. So we'd go into Gavin's in Castlebar, and you'd get to hire the Sega for the weekend for two nights, I and think get I loved it. And get two games for yeah. ten pounds.
2: Yeah, yeah. And every, I remember you used to be able to rent the games. Like yeah. I'd be, you know, you'd be going. Oh, you'd be going and renting the them for the weekend? And so yeah, like me and my brother, like if we were had any kind of spare cash, all him. He was four years older than me, so I was always relying on him to have the cash, yeah. as opposed to me. But yeah, I was just always doing that renting out games, and that was a simpler time, though. You know, like you'd never think to have kind of you'd always only rent games. You never bought them or had them. You yeah. Know? Um. So for me to buy the Xbox was a bit of a guilty pleasure, but I. I said, why not? Just fantastic. Yeah. So I don't. My best friend doesn't even know that I have an Xbox. Like I wouldn't admit to another grown adult that I have. I do that, uh, but now I have. Are you happy the way things are going? Yeah, I love it. I'm happy. I'm. It's, I like. I'm not good with being stressed or anxious or that. So I try not to be that way. Um, but obviously, it have. Anxieties all the time and all of different little bits and pieces, but try not to let them harbour on. And um, I uh, try to be as good a person as I can be. And you
1: when know, you say you try not to let them harbour on,
2: just like sometimes I just like I hate having anxieties. Like, I don't like people, you know, I wouldn't like for some for me to have upset somebody by saying something or doing something or and then that would if that like if I was going on and on it would like really fucking eat me up like um, and I'd hate it and I'd just like some people this doesn't bother them or I don't know if it does or not but it bothers me to a point where I can't cope with that I don't like having anxiety having animosity with somebody or mm-hmm. you know it stresses me out too much um, so I try to just not let it happen or if it does happen to try and sort it out and it out fix it up yeah and you know, so. um, and just Different worries and stress about work and stuff like that. So I try not to think, overthink things. So I think that's why I kind of don't overly focus on, oh, what am I going to be doing in, you know, a years time? Or because mm-hmm. that's a pressure that you don't need. Like if, if you don't if you don't reach that expectation, then and it's then you start like having self doubt. Well, why didn't I? Like, what's wrong with me that I I didn't achieve that goal? Or like, it's pressure that's not necessary. You know. Um, like it might be replaced by something else then it, your path of life might have gone a different way so why get stressed about something that you thought a year ago was a good thing to do but in actual fact it, it's led you to something else so I try to for that reason just kind of live on the edge of
1: I find you absolutely fascinating and I've listened to every single episode of the THL podcast you know and I've always wanted to talk to you and, and I think the, the Joe Biden visit pushed me to contact you well, I'm glad
2: you. to it was lovely to actually do it and I, I do nice.
1: appreciate you taking the time and, and I, I felt bad messaging you and you know, I felt like a bit of a bollocks saying, how you do the podcast? If I thought but. you were
2: being a bollocks, I'd have told you you were being <laughs> a bollocks. <laughs> or I'd have completely ignored you. And but, then,
1: you yeah. know, you've spent two hours with me here in Mount Falcon Estate. And honestly, I can't thank you enough.
2: Well, it was my pleasure and I love it. So I love all the stuff that you do. And I think what you're doing is you're a niche in what you're doing as well. Alan. And it's, it's good and it's fun. And like people... you've so many like super fans as well in a way like I meet some so many people I was telling people that you're coming on oh I love him Jesus he's great crack I love his videos I love his stuff so keep doing keep doing what you're doing
1: how many um, million million downloads are you on now
2: well I don't know the last count was 20 million so 20 million it's mad like it sounds ridiculous it sounds mad like it, it is mad when you think about it. it All over the world. All over the world. It was interesting, actually, once a few months in, we got like a breakdown of the countries that we were, people were listening to the podcast in and one person listening in the Yemen and you're like, I want to know that person. I want to know why they're listening. Yeah. You know, obviously it's all Irish people generally. Like, although I've got some cousins who are, parents were Irish. They're, born bred Americans and they're absolutely love it you know the podcast and you think a lot of the stuff is Irish references that would go over their heads you know but they get it and they love it and um, do you
1: know where your second most popular country is after Ireland no second or third
2: I don't know I mean I probably presume it would be the UK and sort of America and stuff but the other like random ones like Colombia, and
1: when you uh, go in and look at the statistics, you've had a download in every country in the world. I'd yeah, say. you yeah. know, because I'm a, I'm only at three hundred and fifty thousand.
2: Yeah, there's some people listening in Russia, like or yeah. in North Korea. I don't know if you can probably can't get North Korea's viewers or or listenership, but yeah.
1: How are they allowed to listen to the THL podcast already? Exactly,
2: I would would say safely North Korea probably now in hindsight wasn't on that list, but yeah.
1: All right, look, and I'm going to let you go. When can we expect the THL podcast back?
2: Well, it's back in September. um, You're not going to
1: last until September I
2: know, yeah. Well, I've already, I was walking down the street in Dublin the other day and I had my earpods in and I was talking to Tommy and... uh, and I said to him, Ah, look, I said, time get like it's maybe we should come back, you know, before September. I said we might get, we might miss each other too much, you know. And I'm always saying that, miss ye, you know. And there I was, like, we'll oh, get lost, like. And uh, there was a fellow walking in front of me, and he he said, I knew, I knew the voice. He was like, tell him I agree. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I said, come on. I said, the people on the street too. So, you know, I I don't know. Look, it's 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 amazing how time bloody. Fa- passes so quickly anyway you're mm. kind of like we're already ready a month into it like you know um, so we've only four more to go so I mean once we might be back a bit earlier she'd never you might known. even do a bonus one we might do a bonus one yes we might do an odd bonus the one the people here. want it give them what they want I know I know I look at I totally agree You you've tell the other two
1: and I had to laugh as well you were saying like what if one of us dies I know would we do a podcast then
2: oh they'd, uh, yeah exactly oh yeah I was like of course get rid of me I said you won't care at all like, but yeah no so it's it's great and I'm delighted to have been on with you so thank you very much thanks um, very much I really appreciate it but, so we might do another one when the president g- gets re-elected w- when <laughs> he gets re-elected to, just I want to annoy the Trump supporters there I now. want
1: on the plane next time well I'll be on it as well I was I'll watching be. from an old cold hangar in uh, Ireland West Airport oh
2: well look good it was a good place to be as yeah. well so yeah thanks a million no problem thanks
0: The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award winning manufacturer of factory built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineers' fees. Please get in touch, reviewing of our show homes. A brochure, or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie.